maybe you'd want to just give me a little bit of a, an introduction into how you got into training and then obviously now you're working as a coach so how that's how that happened then yeah awesome um i suppose i think i'm the story of a lot of coaches probably not just i know just uh, pretty similar to yourself where i was very small and very scrawny yeah. for a long time i think that's i think it's one of two you're either very small and very scrawny and you're like fuck this i want to see if i can get big or you were like a pro athlete from the age of like six and you're like i just want to keep working out forever yeah Those like you didn't, you didn't quite make it to the pros so you're like how can i keep working in sports <laughs> Pretty much. So I was very much not option B. Mm. I was pretty small, pretty scrawny, and loved sport. That was kind of the bit that was funny because I did everything from every age. And okay. I sucked at all of them. Really? Truly, <laughs> really sucked at all of them. And it was only really when I got to college that I found running. Okay. And that was something that I was actually found I got pretty good at pretty quick. So okay, I, I thought always... I thought that you had been doing running for years. No, I um did everything else and sucked at all of it the whole way up through school. Like, but I actually, in hindsight, I just didn't know running was a thing. I just genuinely okay. didn't have any exposure to it because my favorite bit of all the other sports was the fitness element. Right. Like I played rugby for three years because we could use the gym, mm. and. You've, if people think I'm small now, they should have seen me when I was 15. I had no place on a rugby pitch. Scrum so, <laughs> No. Okay. Out the back. Full back. Pray the ball doesn't get you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So I did that and I actually ended up doing sports science in college. It was very close. So I was between engineering and sports science. And on the day, due date of the CAO, I ended up picking sports science, which set a lot of things in motion. So I kind of found a running club in the final year of school around the time of the leaving cert. Mm. And I was only kind of going up once or twice a week because I was still playing hockey. So I kind of was using it as fitness for hockey. And then once I made the move to college, I started making running my kind of full-time sport because I'd kind of seen a bit of progress. I was really enjoying the fact that the entire element of training was just fitness. I never really had that in a sport before. So I started to really, really enjoy it. And then I kind of ran all the way through college and undergrad. I made my first Irish team in my second year of college. And then at the end of my time in undergrad, I was grossly underprepared for the real world. So I decided, let's do a master's and let's Common keep story, for yeah. a while longer. Yeah, again, I think that fits the SNC narrative pretty firmly. Actually, stay in college for longer without having to deal with this. Yeah, I could have procrastinated just that little bit longer. So I knew a few guys who were around my level who had gotten scholarships over to the States. And again, because I was so late to running, I knew nothing about running in America. But I just knew that there was this thing called the NCAA and there were guys running over there and you could get a scholarship for like a school and just run and study and do that for a couple of years. So I had a couple of years of eligibility left. So I just fired emails out to every single D1 college with had a sports science program and kind of went through the process and then by just after christmas i had committed to uh, university of north texas mm-hmm. and i went over there ran for two years in d1 and got my master's degree in kinesiology awesome and what was your i mean i, I did a i did a 
but a semester long stint in America myself in college there, did you find it was like a big shift from what you were used to doing running in an Irish university? Yes, that was a different world. Now, training intensity, obviously, to get to there, I was already training twice, if not three times a day myself at home. But just, you know, you go over there and the money and the equipment and the professionalism is just another world. You know, in UCD, we met outside the sports center. That was Mm -hmm. like the facilities available. And even when I was there, there was no track. I was that in-between period where the old track was. Oh, yeah. 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 Kind of fallen to ruins. And they hadn't built the new track yet. There wasn't even word of the new track. So you guys were just doing like loops of the campus? Just doing loops of the campus and speed sessions around the guy players and ultimate frisbee team. And what does what does two or three times a day training look like? Is that like two runs and a gym session? Yeah, um, not always two runs. I wasn't a super high mileage guy. I in the states my mileage went up quite a lot, and I ended up getting injured quite a lot because of it. Because they had a very firm mantra of everyone has to be doing. 100 miles or as close as they can possibly manage at home i was doing about 60 so it would usually be something like a mix of running cross training and gym work i actually got really into swimming because i found it really good cross training and not hugely high impact and then obviously ucd had the 50 meter pool so mm. typical day would look something like getting them to ucd at like 7 a.m swim mm. 3k in the morning go to lectures in the evening, go to a run, so maybe like a eight to ten mile run, and then some strength work after that, for like forty minutes okay, in the gym. Now. You must have been eating like a horse. Do you, so for those who don't know, we went to college together. We didn't know each other super well at the time. We were in the same courses. Do you remember we had a module with um, Brendan, and we were doing kind of nutrition, and yeah. we had to profile a uh, like made up athlete and get all the nutrition recommendations for them and their sport so yes i do vaguely remember that yeah we had our profiles like a young guy player who needs to gain weight and bulk up yeah and we're kind of doing out the math on it and i realized that my own eating because part of the project was to track your own eating kind of get where you fell in that i was Mm. eating about two and a half times the recommended bulk volume for this imaginary guy who was about 15 kilos heavier than me so what were you at, like 7,000 plus calories a day or something? Not quite, but the, like 5,500. I just would carry around. I didn't have any books or laptop in college. <laughs> I just carried around a big bag with two massive tubs of just like chicken, rice, and vegetables. And just throughout the day, yes. every lecture, just eating, eating, eating. That is dedication. Because I, I was pretty into training already in in college but obviously it was strength training so like you know you can get a loss out of like three or four hard sessions a week doing that and make progress but two or three times a day and having to keep up that amount of eating is a whole other level of dedication it's a it's i suppose it's every sport realistically once there is a threshold because i was trying to you know run at international level i was getting irish caps and i was trying to win some national titles yeah. So you can be a pretty good runner off three, four days a week in the mm. same way you can be a pretty good lifter off three, four days a week. But if you wanted to, like if you were trying to compete and win an Irish title in powerlifting, they're training twice a day. It's all 
scalable and obviously yeah. running a little bit more so because the high impact of weightlifting is a little bit different but anyone doing anything at a high level of almost any sport is training a lot yeah yeah well yeah i mean it makes sense to hit that point of diminishing returns with a certain amount of effort and you just have to keep on trying to squeeze a little bit more in but it sounds like when you went to the states you just kind of immediately had your training workload almost doubled basically then um in a way yes some things yes some things no the biggest thing i suppose like i was already training maybe a similar volume but because they aren't always big embracers of science i think (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sorry not to cut across you but i remember i did an internship in uh in the states for snc and um one of the guys i was chatting to him it was a coach at a seminar a coach from a high school and uh i was saying oh, i'm from ireland and you know i'm coming over here during, during my masters to get a bit of experience or whatever it's like oh, you guys in europe are really big into the science stuff aren't you i just remember kind of thinking like isn't everybody meant to be into the science in the science related field I actually have a very similar story of my coach in my second year, a different coach as my first and second year. But I'm trying to remember, it was very early on, it was a massive red flag, which definitely turned out to be accurate. Mm. He was talking like, oh, Ireland, England, you guys pump out more sports scientists than anyone else in the world. And that was the whole comment, but he just said it like it was such an insult. Like sports <laughs> scientists are a plague to my industry. And yeah. you know, this guy was not science based at all. Right. So, gentle yeah. way, we'll put it. There's a lot of Rara army drill sergeants uh methodology behind a certain um areas of strength and conditioning in the States that put me off for sure. Yeah. And in fairness, I think he was this was more my running coach. I had actually had some really good S and C coaches. I, yeah. I got on I did an internship while I was over there as well and I loved it. And uh, it's unfortunate that the SNC coaches are not taken as seriously as they should be, especially outside of things like football. So I was in there and like I had to sneak into the SNC room so I could do some squats and deadlifts and actually build some strength while everyone else was doing their banded clamshells and like eight minute long planks. Oh, my God. Actually, there's a very funny video that went up a few days ago of... um... Mike Isratel critiquing Ben Affleck's Batman workout. Um, it's like I don't know his his personal trainer is like running through like supposedly what Ben Affleck did to get in shape for the most recent Batman movie. But like, you know, there's just like one exercise is just like a bodyweight squat, but as you come up out of the top, you like do a twisting kick to like a, a boxing bag. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's, it's a very and funny critique. His traps go to his ears now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it makes you think maybe there was a supplementation protocol in place there to get those results. Um, but sorry, go on. So yeah, you you tried the internship in SNC, and so it wasn't great quality, or um, it was actually really good. I really enjoyed. I had a really good mentor over there, which unfortunately, as is always the way, he actually ended up getting um, fired from that job because he he dared to question some of the football coaches and soccer coaches' uh, methodologies and what they were trying to make him do. So towards my last semester, a load of them got let go. They got a new football coach in, and he just cleaned slate. 
So for me, yeah. that was a big indicator. I think you've talked about it before, how there's just not a lot of benefit to being an S&C coach in the US. You have very little respect. You work insane hours for no pay. And yeah. if anything happens, you're the first one out the door. Well, imagine you have a family, maybe a few kids, and your income is reliant on somebody like that making a good decision. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... it. It seems like such a great area to work in, but there's just so many um, so many strings attached to it that add a huge amount of stress with very little compensation, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. And that's kind of exactly where I got to. Like, this is a really cool on-paper job. Yeah. You're working with high-end athletes. You have access to the most amazing facilities and equipment, but the realities of the job just are so bleak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of decided it was not where I want to go with things. I also, I think it appeals, certainly if you're going to work in the States, I think you have to have a specific type of personality to, to thrive in that environment. I'll never forget the, the internship that I did in the States was in Atlanta and um it would there was a, a basically a guy who had been there for a while like as an intern and he was really popular with the head coach or the the head strength coach guy loved him and he was like just do what you know and it's not his actual name but i say john just do what john does you know and john at the start of every session at like whatever 5 a.m in the morning the football players are walking through the door and John stands at the door and proceeds to high five every single player that walks to the door. And he has like a nickname that he's assigned them all. And he has like some kind of like witty one liner that he attaches to that as well. It's like, Hey, Billy B, your guns are looking big today, man. And he like smack him on the ass or something like that. And I was kind of watching this and I was like, I can't compete with this. And to be honest, I don't really want to Um, like this just, just more and more of this went on and i was like yeah this just isn't for me like i i can't i can't be be doing this and trying to compete with people who are like this this kind of x level of extroversion and type a personality you know so Mm -hmm. but i mean the thing that is kind of specific to the states i think it's maybe a little bit more subdued and um it's just i think a different thing in different parts of the world but certainly the allure of the working for the NFL or a college football team or something like that is huge. And you get there and you realize, well, this is what's required, you know? Mm. And fairness, I think even that is probably a rare thing that the positive guy who's there hyping everyone up. I think that's while, yeah, I'd agree. It's probably not something I really want to be doing. I'd rather see that than the more classic drill sergeant, like, everyone's a piece of shit and why are you late and yeah. f this and f that exercise punishments yeah yeah I'll take the billy big biceps all day at least that yeah yeah <laughs> the guy up. yeah 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 yeah. that's true okay so it was kind of after that stint that you started realizing that snc wasn't for you or did you try to work in in sports at all anymore after that so i had some ambition to work as a running coach because I had some pretty I had a great coach in Ireland and he got me really far very quickly it's kind of why I ended up going from like starting running in college to making my first Irish team my second year and then getting the D1 scholarship and then I went to America and I had some really bad experiences with coaches 
right. kind of led me injured, burned out, and all, you know, for a while really hating running. Yeah. So I wanted to try and you know, be part of the solution. I thought I could be a good coach. I have the experience and I could actually be science-based. So mm. I was looking into that for a while, but then again, similar realities started to hit. A, it's really hard to get the position. B, um, visas and things like that became more of an issue. And I just kind of decided, okay, I think this kind of route of collegiate or professional sport is really bigged up to us, us when we're in college and it's kind of the vision that we're sold and just the more different routes I started looking down kind of in that area I was like no this is this is not it mm-hmm. so I ended up coming home from the states and wasn't really sure what I was going to do I was kind of applying for a few different jobs I definitely wanted to keep working there of sports I was looking at a few jobs in more kind of corporate wellness which I didn't love the idea, but it was like, you know, there's definitely a lot more stability here and there might be a good platform to build off. But I actually ended up getting a job in a CrossFit gym. And the story for it, I'm on very good terms with my old boss from there. I no longer work there, but I don't know if I've told him this story. I actually applied for the job as a joke. (laughs) (laughs) A drunken prank at 2 a.m. Not quite, but basically a friend of mine was working out there and I just got, the second I got home, like I am not one who can deal with being idle. I got home and there was an opening in a shop a few, like just down the road for me. So I just took a job because I had no money after come back from the States. And I was like, I'm going to do something to earn some money and not be sitting around the house. So I did yeah. that for about two months. And during that time uh, opening, I saw an ad for a new coach at a CrossFit gym. And yeah. it was really close by and I just looked it up and I knew a friend of mine was working out there. So I literally filled out the application, took a screenshot and sent it to my friend being like, haha, I'm going to be your coach. <laughs> <laughs> and then I showed up and I did the interview. And at the time I enjoyed CrossFit. I watched the games, but I had that kind of preconceived notion that a lot of people do that CrossFit is bad and it's going to get you injured and all the coaches mm-hmm. are crazy. And I walked in the door and I talked to two owners for five minutes. And I think within the first like three minutes of the interview, one of them was like, yeah, fuck CrossFit. (laughs) Okay. I think I can imagine who that person was. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you're you're definitely right. Okay. Um, But just the interview was really good. It was really interesting. I kind of really liked they were just talking about sports science. They weren't talking about, you know, doing the fastest wad or lifting the heaviest weight. They were talking Mm. about actually helping people and doing it in a way that, the exercise was important, but nowhere near as important as all the other factors that were going to play into people's lives. Yeah. So I find that really interesting. And as I ended up um, saying I'd love to take the job and they offered it to me. So I actually ended up there for four years. Yeah. During that yeah, time, that's... they trans. Sorry, was, that's the same amount of time that I worked in a CrossFit gym as well, about four years. I think the life cycle of a coach in a commercial gym is on average about two to three years for other reasons. Well, look, I mean, you get to a point where you're either going to, you know, try to work as a manager in that area and maybe like potentially try to run your own one at some point or or else you're at that point, you're probably going to have built up enough experience and uh, reputation that you might be able to do something by yourself then. So like certainly don't think it makes sense for somebody to be doing their fifth year of just taking CrossFit classes, you know? And yet, a lot of the time, that's kind of the way it is because there's not a lot of place to go. 
But um, I kind of rode that wave up. So I went there as a CrossFit coach, did my level one. And although we weren't really doing strict CrossFit, like it was, there wasn't quads or anything like that. It's very much kind of barbell gym with a bit of, I suppose, that CrossFit-esque conditioning at the end. Mm. Um, ended up moving into more PT-based stuff. And then there was a bit of a shakeup in the company during COVID. So I became the manager and the head coach and did that for the last couple of years there. So it was a really, really cool experience because I think a lot of coaches go through college as, you know, either a PT cert or college, as we know, there isn't necessarily a huge amount of difference in terms of valuable coaching skills because both of them are so focused on exercise. And I think what a lot of people think about when they talk about the sales of the coach, they see how to design a training plan or how to teach a squat. And in my mind, that's exercise instruction. Yeah. A lot of quote unquote coaches are really good exercise instructors, but they've no idea how to actually coach someone towards a goal. And that's yeah. something I think that was developed really, really well in this gym. Mm. There was so much more emphasis on helping people to make positive change in terms of nutrition, in terms of their sleep, in terms of their lifestyle. And, you know, you can have a guy who comes in off the path, uh, that comes in off the street and he has never touched a barbell in his life. And, you know, you take him through something like starting strength and you can get him to squat in some pretty heavy numbers pretty quickly. And there's, there's a lot of value in that because he's now stronger, he's now fitter, he's now a bit more confident in the gym. Yeah. But if he walked in there because his shirts didn't fit anymore and he feels like shit most of the time because he drinks 20 pints every weekend and doesn't sleep, the barbell stuff is great. But, you know, after the first three months, he's probably not getting any better in any of the areas he really cares about. I don't know. That that sounds like a perfect candidate for God on the milk a day to me. <laughs> Everyone's a perfect candidate for God on the milk a day. Just get chunky and strong. Yeah, if, if you just, you know, just if you squat 700 pounds, all of your life problems disappear. Absolutely. But um, just to comment on something you were talking about there, it seems so ridiculous to me now, but I was genuinely shocked when I started training people and just showing them how to do like squats and deadlifts right and getting them to follow a program didn't like immediately get them loads of gains. I was like, I don't get it. Like they're coming in every week. I'm telling them what to do and we just can't add any more. And it just took seeing that happen enough and then seeing people who could actually bypass that and get results for me to realize that oh, okay those people who are getting results a lot of them were actually doing far stupider stuff than what i was trying to get other people to do but just because they had some semblance of a good plan for nutrition and went to bed on time you know it was enough and you know they were managing their life stress and all the other things like it was enough for them to make progress and i think that is something that is sorely missing from say like the degree program that we would have done because you're right like it doesn't actually i feel like i could probably teach somebody the basics of how to show somebody how to do a pretty good squat and like put together a reasonably intelligent strength program in a few weeks i don't think i would take a year of of you know college education to teach them but the hard thing is taking somebody who is maybe going to do that once or twice a week but you know, can't stick to getting in a few glasses of water and some extra protein and going to bed an hour earlier. Like 
how do you help that person to get healthier and reach their goals and that's that's definitely more of like a coaching thing and, and a much more uh i think it's a rarer skill set for sure yeah and i think part like this is you know the universal issue of universities academics does not prepare you for the real world yeah. if you and like you know it's no different from our course than being a doctor or being an accountant you go in you learn a lot of theories and underlying principles which are important i you know i bounce back and forth and there's a bit and i joke that college is a complete waste of time but i think there is value in kind of that learning and that understanding and that critical reason that comes from it but the fact that you're meant to come out with a degree and be ready to do the job in any form like that that qualifies you to do the job mm. you know if you're a sports scientist most of the time they don't include anything about how to actually teach a movement you know the baseline of what they're trying to talk about let alone all the skills that go into active listening and goal mm. setting and helping people achieve change same with being a doctor there's almost nothing in ter- there's no exercise description in that there's very little about like bedside manner and gaining confidence and trust in your um, patients and again on the business side you can have all this theory, but you have no idea how to actually work in an office. Mm. Well, I think, the yeah, I definitely agree. And I think a problem with exercise science degrees is that, you know, in fairness to them, I don't think most of them, and certainly not the degree we did, ever at any point claimed that, you know, this is to prepare you for being a strength and conditioning coach or prepare you for the problem is it it actually doesn't prepare you for being anything in particular. Like it's so general that by the end of it, you've accumulated a lot of general knowledge, but it's, it's almost necessary that you now need to go and do something more specific to actually be qualified and, and know how to now go to say, do like physiotherapy or become a personal trainer or a strength coach. And there, there's not really any guidance in most sports science programs around the career aspect of it. I think it's a little bit disingenuous because anytime you see them marketed at the, um, you know, the higher options thing or anything like that, you know, the banner always has like a an elite GAA athlete with like a, a Lucasade bottle or something. Like there is an implication there that like you're going to work with elite athletes after you do this, but then there's no actual career direction there. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing that's going on where they never like outright say that this is going to prepare you for anything, but it's almost marketed as if it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of a nail on the head right there. It's very much sold as something it isn't. And like there's I don't think there's a problem with selling it as it is. I think it's really good information and even if it was so because we did a three-year degree so there is possibility to go do on go on to specialize in something else after Mm -hmm. and then but if it's sold as you know a very baseline understanding and knowledge of a wide area of exercise physiology and nutrition sports psychology and from there you go on but yes I, i remember exactly the banner you're talking about of elite level sports and snc and like you know i was told it wasn't just in that banner it was very much parroted throughout yeah. the program like we had an snc module where it was talking all about working with elite athletes mm-hmm. but it was always talking about energy systems and you know designing training programs and i think there was one section of the whole module which taught you how to teach a back squat and in hindsight it was the most textbook impractical no one squat like this back squat yeah yeah it's yeah actually i had um 
I had uh, Will Walsh on the podcast a while ago, and he made a very good point about like the whole optimal thing. Like when you're talking about how academics have this idea about how things should work in the real world, and you know, such and such technique is optimal or approach to training or nutrition, but like, like optimal really is what actually works in the real world. It's not like oh, we're we're going to deviate from optimal to make this suit your life. Like optimal is what suits your life. So maybe if there is a stock template for what academia keeps saying should work and it constantly has to keep on getting adapted for regular people, it's not actually optimal. It's just a theory that doesn't actually bear out in real life when you try to apply it to a person who works and has kids and you know, only has two days a week, like most people, to actually sustainably get better at something. Mm. I have I have two two points for this. One, Will Walsh is probably one of the best. He was um, one of the others in the gym I worked with, and he's probably mm. one of the best coaches I've ever seen. And I, if Will has listened to this, I would love for you to go to UCD and pitch them a coaching module where it's just practical because Will is probably the best person I've ever seen at just tossing all the bullshit aside and just showing you how to do practical, you know, what they kind of consider soft skills of yeah. teaching movements and getting people towards a goal. And I learned so much from him. And I think that the kind of way he teaches is something that is sorely missing from academia, academia yeah. could just have a very different approach. So Will, if you want to do that, you know, I know we're just talking about how bad it is to work in academia. <laughs> for That's the, good the problem. The people, coaches. people who know better don't want to because, you know, from what I've heard, it doesn't even pay that well anyway. So I can see why they don't want to, to get involved in that. But yeah, Will is a fantastic coach, definitely. And um, actually, uh, I think the first ever exposure I had to any kind of um, coaching, shadowing or anything like that was asked what was i guess crossfit ireland at the time and uh i spent a lot of time watching will coach and he was very good i remember one time in particular actually um they were they were teaching olympic lifts at the start of a class i can't remember exactly what the person was doing but they were doing i think they were doing that classic thing of like um uh yeah they they were they were moving their feet far too much i think they were kind of like jumping into like a sumo stance basically when they were doing a clean and you know most coaches would say something like don't move your your feet so much and will went up to this person and said don't move your feet at all keep your feet glued on the ground and of course because habitually the person did that super wide jump all the time they still jumped but now they landed in a moderate you know more efficient stance and i was like how come you didn't just tell them to you know not jump quite as wide and I remember he said something like they had an exaggerated um, mistake or or issue. So I gave them an exaggerated cue to fix it. So like they were all the way over here. So I gave them something all the way over here so that it would meet somewhere in the middle. Whereas if you tell someone who's doing something extremely wrong, just to modify it a little bit, they're probably still going to be pretty wrong by you telling them just to try to modify it. So that kind of blew my mind at the time. And kind of made me realize, oh, there's actually like some skill to cueing people. It's not just pointing out that they're doing something wrong and expecting them to get that automatically. You have to actually like figure out how to communicate it to them. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's what you almost call like the gray zone of coaching. 
where you're taught these very specific cues and exactly how a squat should look. And it's usually only with that kind of experience. And Will been doing this for years and years and years. And he had that cueing and uh, kind of instruction down to a fine art yeah. where everyone's a little bit different. And the textbook told you to do it a certain way, but that's not going to work for a wildly large percentage of the population. So mm-hmm. just working with what's in front of you and forget the image that you think this should look like this. Mm-hmm. How can you make it just a little bit better? Yeah. And I think that's a really important skill that a lot of coaches, they, they develop it over time, but I think they go into a new job after finishing you know, a degree in sports science or a PT cert and they think they know exactly how to make someone move a certain way or how to coach something mm. and exactly how it should look. And then the reality of, oh, wow, everyone's body is not exactly like this person in the textbook. Mm-hmm. And also the people I practiced this with in college were a bunch of 19-year-old athletes, not <laughs> a 50-year-old overweight woman who spends 12-plus hours a day sitting at a desk and has done zero exercise ever. Yeah, that was a rude awakening for me because my first opportunity of getting to coach people was in the high performance gym in UCD because I was lucky enough to get an internship in there. And then, you know, they recommended that I try to get some experience outside of the gym setting as well. So I remember I volunteered at a a local tennis club to do like a, a once or twice a week fitness thing for an hour, like a fitness class on the pitch or the the course. But it was all people I'd say I wouldn't say there was even anybody in their 40s. It was all like 50s plus. And there was even somebody in like their late 70s, I think. And it was a group of 10 or 12 of them. And it was so hard. I had It it never occurred to me that if I told somebody to hinge at their hips, that they would just stare at me blankly like, what the fuck are you talking about? And because I was so used to training people who had like rowing scholarships and football scholarships and were just... They were in the gym to begin with because they'd been selected for being good athletes who can learn things quickly when it comes to movements. And now I was coaching regular people. And uh, so it took me a long time to to realize just like how much you need to develop like the skills of communicating with people. And actually, I think going back to what you were saying about how, you know, you're you're first um conception of crossfit was that you know it's stupid and it's dangerous gets people hurt or whatever um i think now looking back retrospectively it's hard to deny how many great coaches i know who got their start working in crossfit gyms and i've i'd be interested to get your perspective on this but the only thing that i can think of that makes sense because every gym is different is that with crossfit you're getting exposure to coaching large amounts of normal everyday people who aren't very good movers because they're not natural athletes. And, and so you're, you're constantly getting experience with teaching things to people who aren't very good at them. So you have to find very efficient ways of teaching it to them. And I think if your only experience is working with athletes or if you're only working with people on a one-on-one um, scenario from the outset you're just going to have a much lower volume of people that you've worked with you know 100 I, I think this is probably if i was to give one piece of advice to coaches aspiring coaches who are studying 
go do as much in-person coaching as you possibly can with as many different people as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was in college, I was working at a few different places to, you know, that's just kind of earning some money. And I got my start. I was actually coaching in my old school yeah. because I'd they didn't to. have a running. Pro- I, th- I think a lot of us did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was always good pay. It was always good pay for not that much work. Mm. But because I was working the school, I was working with every, as a secondary school, it was everything from like 12 to 19 year olds. Yeah. And, you know, you get pretty amazing athletes at 19 and you get kids who don't know where their elbow is when they're 12 or 13 because they've just grown a load or they're just not that athletic. So the variance you get is insane. And then as well as that, I was doing some kind of um, running programs with some office workers and we're going to do some circuit stuff after as well. And exactly like that, I think you can end up in such a bubble where you go to a sports science course or a PT cert. And you know who does sports science course and PT certs? Pretty athletic people who really are into working out and training. So you're working with these people and you're talking to them and like maybe you're demoing on each other. And man, I'm so good at queuing. I could make this guy do a perfect deadlift. You already knew how to do a perfect deadlift. Yeah. Or you go to the high performance gym and maybe he doesn't know how to do a deadlift, but he's already a pretty damn good athlete. Yes. So that can give you this false perception of what the typical person is like and your own skill level versus right. I don't think there's anything more beneficial than working with someone who is the least coordinated person you've ever met in your life. Because if you can teach them how to do a movement without losing your mind, you are probably going to be really good at giving very succinct cues and understanding how people learn movements. And if you then go on to a high performance setting, you've got this amazing skill set. And, you know, the skills you need to teach someone something are the same it just probably would take the beginner who's uncoordinated a lot more time and effort versus i'd use the exact same way to teach a pro but they're just going to move through it so quickly and efficiently yeah yeah absolutely like i mean i can remember times when i was trying to teach people in that crossfit gym how to do things and like i i was having like an existential crisis about my ability as a coach because I just couldn't get somebody to do a deadlift or just couldn't get them to do a squat. And uh, But those were actually the most valuable experiences because they were the ones that forced me to stop using a certain cue or to stop trying to approach teaching something in a certain way or to drop my attachment. Like when I remember when I first started coaching CrossFit, I was really into powerlifting. So I had a huge attachment to like the barbell squats and the barbell deadlift and stuff like that. And I remember, uh, I guess probably, you know, I think every, everyone has a, who's a coach has like a, a memory of a client that they worked with at the start and they look back and they're like, Oh God, that's embarrassing. Like what I tried to do with that person. And I remember that, uh, I got a guy for a PT client who was probably in his late 60s, early 70s, very nervous. I think he did like a little bit of cycling and, and was kind of fit, but he want, he knew that he needed to do strength training to kind of build up his bone density and, you know, just improve his overall health. And I got him doing the starting strength program and he uh, really did not like doing back squats at all. Um, he just had a thing. I think he was kind of scared about the ball, the bar, like falling forward on his head. 
And I just fought him every session, trying to convince him, like, this is what you need to do. I remember the owner of the gym who had like a lot more experience than me was just like, why? You know, like realistically, he's he's squatting the training bar that was like 10 kilos or whatever. Like, is it really gonna make a difference if you just get him holding a dumbbell going to a box for a while? And in my head, like, because I've got all these like strong opinions on training from having done so much reading and come out of college and everything is like no but this is the optimal way to do it and i lost him like he just he just stopped coming after a while and i obviously just pushed him away by trying to force my ideas of what he should be doing and realistically i look back now i'm like fuck i could have got that guy doing body weight squats and he would have been fine and i just got him holding a dumbbell then even if it was pushing the sled it was still 10 times more than he was doing at that time but that's part of the learning process you know it's hard because yeah you know new doctors kill more people than the other doctor yeah but they have to learn that we're not doctors we don't get that level of respect and we shouldn't but that idea that um, you know you probably have to make a lot of mistakes along the way and probably early on, a lot of people are so afraid to make mistakes that exactly that happens, where they're so rigid and inflexible because this is the way it's meant to be and I can't fuck this up, versus yeah. just appreciating that's a person in front of you. Yeah. And um, this is something I think Will repeated quite a lot. Like, what if that was your mom? Mm-hmm. If your mom walked in and another coach was coaching them, would you be happy with the way they're doing it? Yeah. And I think that can actually really help to understand because like, you know, most of us, our mom does not work out and she's never been in the gym before. Mm-hmm. And if you had a new client come in and you kind of just empathize, okay, they're probably worried and they're frightened and they don't really know what they're doing. I'm just going to make this easy and yeah. not scare them off and kind of build their confidence in this. Because kind of coming back to something we were saying earlier, the exercise element is so unimportant, really. Mm. This is something I've kind of come to appreciate more. I think nearly any program can get someone to a level where they are happier, healthier, stronger. Yeah. There's something about, you know, we've talked before about people on Instagram who are promoting bullshit programs and they're kind of misleading. Mm. Realistically, if you go and do a isometric concentric program and you've never done a workout before, you're probably going to get a lot fitter and stronger. It's probably going to be better for it. Yeah. Well, it's all about element. it's all about where you're starting from, you know. And most people are starting from zilch. So, do it's like that old adage that you know most people can start off riding a bicycle and their bench press will go up. And I think that yeah. because we are coaches, and you know, by virtue of that fact, we're really into training, and we have, you know, a very good idea about like what's the optimal way to get stronger or whatever. It annoys us to see people who are packaging things that massively deviate from that because it seems very disingenuous. Although it is a strong argument to say, well, would that person who's doing the crazy bullshit program have done exercise that you pitched to them? Maybe they don't want to do uh, back squats. Maybe they don't want to do any kind of structured resistance training. Maybe they just want to do the swinging around on the cable machine thing that makes them feel like a caveman from... 10,000 years ago, you know, I, I I think it would be hard to argue that that's not at least better than sitting on the couch. Granted, you know, there's still some ethical things that come into it when you're kind of lying about things to people. But 
I've definitely softened on my stance on that a little bit. I think it depends on who you're talking to. You know, if you're if you're talking to somebody who's been training for a few years and you're you're delivering something to them that is you know verifiably not going to get them to their goals then yeah that's bad but most people don't really have specific goals outside of just wanting to lose a bit of body fat and get fitter and i think there's so many different ways of doing that i think the issue probably comes from the promises being made right the same but like you know les mills classes being sold as fat burning and mm. t- tummy toning and you know if someone wants to go and like do a les mills class twice a week they're way better off than the person sitting around the couch, but yeah. just understanding it's not going to help them lose weight. And mm-hmm. that's okay. That shouldn't be everybody's number one goal and focus. I think that's really important. But yeah, I'd, I'd say you're right. Like it, the ethical side isn't necessarily about the, ooh, is it optimal or not? It should really be about the, is this doing what it claims to do? Right. Yeah, well, I think, I think it probably does help some people lose weight you know, like if you go to it three times a week and you keep everything else the same, you probably will lose some weight. But, you know, if you're somebody who has like deep rooted issues with nutrition um, and you're just going to like a high intensity circuit class a few times a week, it's probably not the big rock that needs to get flipped. And it's certainly not it's certainly not um, the easiest way to helping somebody lose weight, I would think, for, for the most part. But um, so. I want to get back to kind of your your story there. We got a bit sidetracked once we got onto the CrossFit just, stuff. There's obviously just a massive tangent. Well, look, I, I think it's useful. I think a lot of people, certainly if any coaches listening, would probably relate to all the stuff that we went through there. But so you were working, I think as far we got as far as you're working in the CrossFit gym, um, and then so what happened then after that? So I did that for four years. And while I was working there, I started a, started working with kind of athletes again on the side. It's kind of what I did throughout college as well as working in schools and stuff. I started because I, at the time, thought I was going to work in, you know, high-end sport, NCAA or NFL. Yeah. So I was coaching with kind of running teams and some hockey teams and GA teams doing season in-season S&C. Mm. So I started up a bit of that again because... I did have the kind of classic frustrations of working with the general population of, you know, this person comes in and they're desperate to lose some weight. They've tried everything and they just can't make it happen. So we start working on some habit stuff. We start training regularly and like, we're going to look at swapping out this one thing. You're going to move from butter to low fat butter Mm -hmm. because you're spreading butter on like 20 slices of toast a day. And this little change will mean you get to keep doing the thing you like to do. Yeah, but you are going to actually probably lose a lot of weight because of this and Mm -hmm. they won't do it they struggle to make that change so i struggle with that population somewhat i feel like i learned a lot from doing with it but because i was an athlete myself i liked working with high performing people so Mm -hmm. i kind of wanted to get going with that a bit again so on the side i started working with athletes and then that kind of grew and grew and you know i'd work with a few and they'd refer a few more and then ultimately, um, December of last year, I quit my job at the gym and decided to work fully remote. I was kind of at a point where I had enough people on roster that if I started charging, I could uh, make it my full-time job. 
Right. So I finished up in December and I launched my new business in early January and I moved to Portugal and that's where I am now doing awesome. entirely remote coaching online. So I'm kind of working with guys between the age of 30 and 50 who already work out quite a lot and are interested in, you know, how can I make this better? How can I make this more effective, more efficient? So generally highly driven people who kind of want to get a bit more out of their training and get further in their results. And are these guys who are primarily runners? I'm a bit of a mix. I'm leaning more into that side now more and more. After my time in the States, I was a bit burnt out with running. Mm-hmm. I kind of took a bit of time away from it, but then it, it's, it's a bug that keeps creeping back in. So now I'm getting back into more running and I am kind of leaning. I've actually taken on a few more guys with a running focus goal. Yeah. So that's probably going to be my next step of really focusing in on that because I think running is a really cool sport. I think it's a lot of fun, but I think it's so outdated in its views in a lot of ways like like a lot of sports it's very traditional Mm. and one of the biggest things that's still really really pushed back against by runners less so at the elite level now they finally started to accept it but strength training right it's not the be all and end all but the difference in a runner that you can make if they are stronger they have a bit more power and they're less injury prone is insane because running is really a game of not getting injured that is the number one thing that will determine if you can run well is if you can avoid getting injured all the time because it's such a high impact high volume sport yeah like i mean that i know they talk about improved running economy like would you would have you seen like very drastic improvements in runners performance who haven't been doing strength training once they start doing like a couple times a week of the basic stuff kind of but this is another whole element so this is kind of circling back to something we said a while ago but a big thing that i try to work on this is why you know remote coaching i think is great because i don't just do training programs mm-hmm. because most people it if you give them a program and they say they do it perfectly they might get a little bit better yeah there's so many other big rocks to flip that a lot of coaches forget about and that people forget about Mm-hmm. you know you if you're running a couple of times a week and you start adding some strength work that'll probably make you a little bit better yeah if you sleep eight hours every night and eat more protein that'll make you a lot better mm-hmm. and that's a big part of what i try to work on with everyone i coach whether it's an athlete or someone who's just starting out yeah. is building the habit of training getting more efficient but even the best guys and this is actually a really funny um it's something I want to get him on a call and do something like this just so I can get him to articulate it and I can send it to as many people as possible. A yeah. guy I know who's a very high level runner, he's out in the States right now and yeah. he was running really well while he was here. Yeah. He was running, you know, sub 63, well, 63 minute marathon, half marathons and getting Irish caps and winning national titles. He went to America and he just got so much better. Right. I was chatting to him recently and he was talking about two things that changed. Because one thing that didn't change much was his training. Okay. But he says two things that changed was one, he had a better training group over there, kind of more people similar to his level that could push him a bit harder. Mm-hmm. And two, he started actually sleeping and not eating chicken nuggets and waffles for every meal. <laughs> and this is a guy who is, you know, international level athlete, best, one of the best runners I know personally. Mm-hmm. And he was still not great at going to bed, sleeping, and eating real food. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I remember uh, when we were in UCD, uh, a nutritionist of a, a, a very accomplished uh, rugby team came to speak to us. And, um, <laughs> you know, like, I, I have a lot of admiration for how really kept it because he was like, guys, like, most of my job, even with like these professional athletes, is still running around just trying to stop them eating chocolate bars all the time, you know? And like, <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I, I find nutrition such a funny area because like people go so hard into the details of it, but it's just so removed from what people actually do when they try to put these things into into place. So yeah, that's interesting. That would make sense. So the the strength training element, really, you see it as more of an injury prevention thing primarily. I think it's a good life skill. And I think, yeah. again, this is, I suppose, me because I'm not necessarily working with the top level athletes. And I think our industry as a whole is so caught up on exercise prescription. Mm -hmm. We're so worried about the minutia and like, is this isometric concentric? Is that really going to be optimal? Anything like that. And it doesn't really matter if he does it and he does it consistently and well, unless he is, sorry, I keep saying he, unless they are the top level athlete where this stuff really makes a difference. Most of us aren't a top level athlete and shouldn't worry about this. They should worry about, do you train in some way that is systematic? Yeah. Are you eating high quality food? And are you sleeping? And this is where I try to really build my brand off. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, people can be a bit surprised by it when they come in and like my program is not crazy exciting. Or in, you know, you're not going to do a lot of crazy exercise you've never done before. You're yeah. probably going to do some exercises you've done before, and you're going to get better at them. But outside of that, I'm going to put a lot more focus on: Are you sleeping? Yeah. Are you eating good food? Because if we really care about optimizing that 1% with the perfect program, that's fine. But I'd much rather focus on the 80% you're missing because you don't sleep. Yeah, it's the same thing that I do with people as well. And, you know, the people that I work with are are beginners, but I think it carries over to every single level of training. It just makes no sense to start looking to try pick up one percent here half percent there where you're literally missing like 40 percent of the progress you could be making from but there's a, there's a guy that i train who um uh you know trains about twice a week and he's extremely consistent and works very hard in the gym but he had hit a, a, a plateau for a while and um i literally just started shifting the focus to uh his nutrition with very simple things like it started off with eat breakfast every day then when breakfast got nailed we're gonna eat lunch every day and then we started working on the quality of those meals a little bit and that has made him start making so much progress and nothing has changed with the training and i i think that's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have even thought would matter that much or need to be addressed that much when I first started coaching people. But it's crazy what a difference it makes to people's progress when they work on things like sleep and nutrition and just do the basics well on the strength training end. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, that's it's so unsexy. You can't yeah. package and sell. We're going to sleep eight hours, eat more protein-rich meals and do some exercise. Mm-hmm. But the whole industry is built around the optimal training, the training that gets you this, the exercise that gets you that, the way to build a bigger booty or more muscle or lose fat through exercise, because that is what you're selling. And again, on the kind of PT course or the 
academic um, route, you're learning about the exercise element of things. You're mm-hmm. not really learning that most people don't sleep eight hours. It's, you know, the, there's a big issue with it globally where we're not getting enough sleep. There's also obviously a huge issue with obesity and the quality of the food people are eating because yeah. they don't have any education in that area. So if you can move those dials, not only are they probably far more important than the exercise you do, yeah. but they'll also move that exercise dial way more than whether you're doing whatever program. I also, I'd be interested to get your take on this. Something I've noticed since I've started really implementing things like sleep and nutrition into my coaching a lot more is that it's it's very apparent what a big disconnect there is between what people are are kind of implicitly told they should expect to get from training versus what it actually requires to get to certain goals. So I, I have this happen a lot where people come in with a certain goal and then we put things in place that require improving, say, like the sleep or nutrition by X percent. And they actually realize a little while into that that actually I don't care enough about that goal to make that many sacrifices and I think that's actually a great thing because people can say whatever they want about like the hustle grind bullshit, but everybody has that point. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete or if you're somebody who's starting from a couch potato. Everybody has a point where they're not willing to make any more sacrifices to their ability to enjoy certain things in their life just to reach another extra few kilos on a lift or an extra percentage off their body fat. And I think. Part of the coaching process, if it's done well, is actually helping somebody figure out what that is. Like, what do you actually really want and what are you willing to do? And oftentimes it's fine just to maintain where you're at, you know? 100%. I think that's, again, kind of going to the misleading information, say like the Les Mills classes where there's these beautiful models who are jacked and mostly naked. And Mm -hmm. they did this Les Mills to get this body. And we yeah. just know it's not the case. And the expectation is wild. But, you know, I've done the high-level training. I've mm. done the bits to get to, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that good a runner. I was decent. I competed at a good level and yeah. I enjoyed it. But I was training three times a day. Yeah. I was prepping all of my meals. I didn't drink for most of my time in undergrad. I didn't go out most yeah, I was, of my Yeah, I was just about to say, undergrad. I'm sure that had effects on your social life, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, I was lucky that I um, was with someone who was very understanding and she was okay with me falling asleep pretty much every time we went and did anything because <laughs> I was just so tired. I'll pick you up but from we the cloak to... room. You're just nestled in between the cloaks and the club. Like... like, but we did not make it as far as the club. We go to the cinema and I fall asleep <laughs> in the chair because I was just exhausted all the yeah. time. And most people don't realize, they have the idea of like, oh, this really in shape person and, you know, or like the glamour of being a lead athlete. It sucks. Yeah. If you love it and you're getting paid to do it, there's probably some cool bits to get out of it. And like, I can't complain. Running gave me so much. I got to travel all over Europe. I got a free masters and got to travel mm-hmm. over America. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool experiences, but it took way more than it gave. Right. And that's kind of what ultimately led me to stop competing. Yeah. Because I was came back and I kind of was a bit burnt out, but I actually ended up r- pushing for another season. And I had a pretty good run. I kind of saw, okay, I can maybe get back to some kind of form. 
but I saw what lay ahead. And like, if I want to make another national team across country, I have to finish in the top, you know, top five. And I saw what I had to do to do that. And I understood that probably meant I'd have to go part-time at work because I can't work full-time. And I'd have to double up training again because I wasn't doing that at that moment. And it became a case of how much time am I really willing to commit to this? Yeah. Awesome. That is as much time as I want to do. And now my goal is, and my approach for a lot of things is I will commit this much time and see how far I can take it. I think a lot of people get make the mistake of this is where I want to go mm-hmm. and they have no understanding of how much time is actually put into that. Yes. And yeah. Like you said, helping them kind of move up through that process. And like, okay, here is what you have in your mind right now. Chris Hemsworth. Dude is enormous genetic freak. Chris Hemsworth doesn't even look like Chris Hemsworth. Just look at any of the photos they take of him when he's not flexing on a beach, you know? I mean, like, even, you know, not Chris Hemsworth photos, I'd still take that body. I think most of us would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just mean that, like, people are basing I want to look like Chris Hemsworth Mm -hmm. probably off a promotional photo for Thor that they saw, you know? Not what Chris Hemsworth looks like standing in front of a mirror first thing in the morning. Yeah, 100%. And, like, you know, it's all very misleading. And it's an issue in our industry. We know it well. But as you were saying, kind of taking people through that process of, say, here's Chris Hemsworth in the Thor movie poster. Here's mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth, what he really looks like day to day. Here's mm-hmm. your starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got to here, you would probably actually love your life. You'd be really happy what you look like. You'd be a little bit leaner. You'd feel a lot better. You'd have more energy. Yeah. The jump to get from there to actually looking like Chris Hemsworth is so mind-bogglingly unpleasant and unattainable for most people. (laughs) But just understanding, if you just moved a little more, slept a little better, and ate a little better, you would look better than 90% of the modern population. Mm. You would feel so much healthier than you do right now, and your quality of life would quadruple. Quadruple? Quadruple. So instead of this idea of like, you there's basically the images in... The industry is the top tier genetic god on gear or obese sedentary person. Yeah. There's nothing in between. I'd love if we just kind of made the message more about if you can get to here, which is just a little better than you are right now, you will love your life. Yep. Uh, that reminds me of something that uh, Jonathan Goodman, who I know we both listen to his podcast and, and look at all of his content, said recently that actually was really... Um, I thought it was really interesting insight that I've started trying to keep in mind a lot more, which is that oftentimes it's better not to start with the solution, but actually to start with, with what the problem is and figure out how, how do we solve that. And to take that trying to look like a celebrity example, like people think the solution to their problems is trying to look like X person. But really, we should probably be working back to like, why do you think you need to look like that person? Or or what is that trying to solve? And maybe the problem is, I'm not happy with the way my shirts fit, or I don't feel great about myself, or, you know, I want to feel athletic or whatever. And there's lots of ways of addressing those problems that don't have to get you to being 10% body fat and massively jacked enough to look like you're on a movie poster, you know? And probably don't require you to make as many sacrifices that you think it takes to get there. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to tell people that. It's hard to sell that. 
yeah. and that it's part of the biggest issue that it's so easy to market the six pack abs and the jacked person mm-hmm. but helping them understand that that's not really what you want mm-hmm. what do you really want oh i actually want to be able to play with my kids or i'm very afraid because my dad had a heart attack when he was 60 and he passed away and i really don't want that to happen to me yeah cool you looking like chris hemsworth is not we have to stop referencing chris hemsworth <laughs> <laughs> i deliberately just tried to say a celebrity there in the last example yeah. I missed it. I missed the boat. Um, But just basically understanding that for you to actually achieve the thing you really want, which is just to feel a bit better or look a little bit better or live a little bit longer so you can see your kids grow up. Mm -hmm. The dial is so much lower than you think it is and you need to do so much less, but you still have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And how do you find the... How do you find the online coaching compared to when you used to do in-person training? Pros and cons to both. I love the freedom it gives and I love the way I can work with a wider base of clients. I have clients in a few different countries, Mm -hmm. which is obviously very, a big limiter to a local gym. You only work with people who are close by to you. Yeah. So I have people in kind of London and a different place around Ireland, a few in America. So it awfully opens you up to a lot wider range, but also there's limits to it. So like it's a skill to be able to help people from a distance. And yeah. I think a lot of it now, I don't know about you, my Instagram feed is bombarded with the earn a hundred K coach anyone in the world with yeah. online coaching. And while that's very possible, and I think a lot more people are open to it and I think it's a cool career choice. That's why I've made it. I think you need to, probably start with in person uh 100 you know because i just i don't think <clears throat> i think actually specifically this is one that's one area where exercise instruction is important because i think that until you've helped somebody one-on-one and been able to see something from a 360 degree angle or view um you're massively limited if all you your only experience is coaching people from a side angle on an iphone video you know, and you, you, you haven't had the experience of trouble. Like I, I know because I've coached so many people in person now, pretty confidently, if I look at somebody who is, you know, doing X thing that I think isn't great on their squat, I have enough reference material in my brain built up to know, right, is the issue here that we need to pull the weight back or is the issue that they need to focus a little bit more on doing this thing? And I think that if you just launch into doing online you're not going to get enough experience built up to be able to actually uh, sufficiently give the right piece of advice to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, that kind of time with a person is also huge because it's something you just don't get in online coaching. You have to kind of, you develop a sense for it. You're doing a session with someone and they're having a bad day. And it's only 40 minutes into the session, they tell you that oh, the kid has been sick for a week and they mm. haven't slept and they haven't eaten. Yeah. It takes a long time to kind of understand that's the norm. And like you said, the same with the exercise prescription, you've seen it enough times that you can probably make the call of, okay, this thing you need to work on. But equally as importantly, as we said, with sleep and nutrition. Yeah. Do you know what to expect and what to look for just because you done it with so many people already you can't understand most people are going to fall down here yeah you see p- patterns begin to emerge you know um 
same same way like I, I can see the patterns now like if if somebody isn't making progress at a certain at a certain rate if they're a beginner i can say pretty confidently like okay probably something isn't happening right in the nutrition sleep kind of category so um but anyway i don't want to take up too much of your time we've probably gone over an hour now and we're probably stretching the attention spans of most people like ourselves who are used to instagram and, and tiktok for consuming content so um maybe if you just wanted to let people know where they could follow you if they're interested in coaching how they can get in contact with you as well yeah so um when i am on instagram just under rick nally i -hmm. try my very hardest to use it as little as possible so probably not the best place to get me i also have website um company is strongbitfast.com awesome so you can contact there i suppose what i really try to push is that i'm looking to work with people who understand what it takes to actually get better yeah but also probably overestimating themselves so they train they work hard but they're probably not seeing the results they'd like on my job what i try to do is show people that it's just it's easier than you think it is it just requires consistency absolutely and actually just briefly before we go i meant to ask you how's your own training going good good i am doing some very non-optimal training right now (laughs) I'm kind of Same. in between running and lifting and I'm working on a few little experiments here at the moment where I'm trying to lift as heavy as possible while running as fun as, as fast as possible. So I have a half marathon coming up in October and I've seen a few challenges. So I'm kind of interested to see where I can push this because I was kind of saying before, my mindset has very much shifted from like how much work can I possibly do instead yeah. to I'm willing to dedicate this much time. Mm-hmm. So I want to challenge the convention that you can't run fast and lift heavy weights because maybe I, I probably can't run elite level races while also lifting heavy. I also probably can't lift elite levels while running fast races. Yeah. But if my goal isn't to be a pro athlete, both of these are really good skills that are going to make me live longer and have a better quality of life. So I'm yeah. just going to keep lifting heavy stuff and trying to run fast. And I'm interested to see how far I can take that. You'd also be way better prepared than either of those highly specialized people for a zombie apocalypse. Just saying. <laughs> that is the Killian benchmark of success of a training program. When that oh. zombie apocalypse comes. Look, who's going to be having the last laugh when the bombs drop? That's all I say. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've made it very clear on multiple occasions that I'm not surviving a zombie apocalypse. I have no interest. Oh, no. It's, it's going to be the people who like know how to build guns out of scrap metal and are willing to cast their ethics to the side yeah, I'm, I'm a kind of just like I'll, I'll eat me on the first day just get it done <laughs> i don't want to deal with, i don't want to like scrape a living and have the trauma going like no i volunteer myself as tribute on day one push me from the zombies it's cool i'm okay with it yeah. and then i'm out you guys best of luck i'm gonna just chill yeah we, we don't want to be in a the road scenario no no, no. Uh, cool awesome well thanks for coming on man and um, we'll definitely do it again sometime soon if you're a prof 100% no thanks it's really good nice chat